Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Bali. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, each uh, edition, I'm looking for my buddy Seth out there. Seth Robinson, where are you? I'm here. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Glad it's Friday. Just mm. put it that way. Yeah. I'm really week. glad it's Friday because I'm taking next week off. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm envious. Oh. Um, what are you, what are you going to do with your time? Rest? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, I'm not going anywhere. Just hanging around here. Um, you know, kids are still all in school and um, it, it seemed like a good week to take right before like the holidays <laughs> start up. And I'm sure we'll be busy trying to wrap things up before the end of the year and maybe ramp into some of our beginning of the year stuff. And so there's this there's this week that like nothing is happening and uh, I decided to really make nothing happen. So good for you. You can catch up on non-work stuff, maybe read things that seem to slip through the cracks. At least for me, they do these days. Yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be quite a bit of reading and a lot of TV. Very cool. Maybe he can get into a soap opera or something. And oh, can be- a new habit. Yeah. Hey, daytime TV. When was the last time you hung around at home Monday through Friday when daytime TV is on? That would be it, approximately it, never. Yeah. I know. Well, then you're in for a treat because it's, it's some weird stuff. I know that I watch daytime TV, but I'll be at the gym sometimes, you know, at lunchtime and it's on and it's like, wow, it's a whole different world. Well, yes. I, I'll, uh, if, if I, if I dive into those waters, I'll give you a full report. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, funny. So how was so, your week? Oh God, my week, my week has been quite a week. Let's just put it that way. Um, we had an incredibly strong windstorm here, but rain and wind on Sunday night uh, here in New England. It pretty much hit all the New England states uh, pretty hard, and um, it was uh, it was just bizarre because it's not a snowstorm, so it's it was literally just real heavy rain and almost hurricane like winds. It was seventy miles an hour at one point. And it happened overnight, and about midnight Sunday, or I guess that's midnight Monday, um, uh, the power went out, which was expected because the winds, I mean, I thought my windows were going to break. I mean, the winds were so strong. And here in New England, for those people who don't live in this region, all of the power lines are above ground on poles um, because we are old and we haven't, you know, new construction, they put the power lines underground, but there's so much, um, so many that are still up uh, above ground that all of the trees and branches that fell in this storm knocked the power lines down, hundreds of thousands of people without power. And this basically on Monday morning woke up to find out from the power company not to expect power back for days, which is never fun to hear. And what makes matters worse in my situation is when my electricity goes out, then I no longer have cable TV, which means I no longer have internet access. My cell service went out as well. And we have a well for our water and that's run by electricity too. So then your water is out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nuts. Yeah. You're basically completely off the grid. So that's sort of sums it up. So then I became pretty much a nomad for the rest of the week. Um, we do have a small generator, so we've got that running, but all that does is keep the refrigerator going and, uh, and allows the well to work so that, um, you know, you can flush toilets and your pipes won't freeze. Not that that was going to be a problem in this instance, cause it's not cold enough, but in the winter, that's a big thing that you got to, you know, make sure doesn't happen. Um, but still, I couldn't work, you know, and I work full time from home, which, you know, we can we can talk about. This is it completely, you know, um, ties my hands. 
So I'm going around from one coffee house to the Dunkin' Donuts to, you know, anywhere that I can find Wi-Fi um, that's still attached. And, you know, it's just not an easy way to work. And frankly, it's hard to be super productive when you're sitting in Dunkin' Donuts with, you know, 25 other people who have been displaced from their homes because there's no power and everybody trying to do little conference calls with their headphones in and everything. You can imagine it's not the most, uh, most conducive environment for, for working. So yeah, that's what I contended with all week. Stayed in a hotel one night. My, my daughter went and stayed with relatives one night. I stayed in the dark one night here with just candles. Um, it was quite, quite the week. Mm. Well, yeah, we, you, you and I were talking about it throughout the week, and it made me think a little bit about um, telecommuting and working remotely and the fact that this has been, I, I think, a little bit of a, of a growing trend, but also a bit of a debate over the past few years. Uh, and you and I have talked about it on and off, and so I thought we could talk about it here on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. You have your history that you, you've been working from home for, for quite a while now. And then before yeah. that, you were in an office environment, right? I mean, how long has it been since since you've been in an office environment? Since 1998. Mm-hmm. So I've been working from home exclusively for about 19 years. Yeah. And, you know, when I first started doing it, it was initially it was a couple of days a week. And it was really kind of a, wow, I, I can't believe we're allowing her to do this. But it was because I moved. I used to live in Boston, worked for, uh, this is when, back when I was a journalist, I worked for a tech publication called InfoWorld. Some of you out there may know that. It's an IDG publication. And I moved from Boston to here to New Hampshire, not to this particular house where I am now. But uh, and I did commute for a while. And if any of you know the commute from any of the uh, suburbs into Boston, um, it's awful. Like many urban commutes are, suburban to urban commutes are. And um, so I asked, I, you know, I said, Hey, what about letting me try to work from home? I, you know, at the, at the time it was a dial up modem, of course. So think about, you know, the slow service, but I didn't need so much, you know, the, the job that I was doing, I didn't need to do intensive downloading or uploading of things. If you weren't swapping files around or anything like that. So they let me try it for a couple days a week and it worked out well. And then I, you know, I lobbied to do it full time and they let me and, Basically, that's been a deal breaker almost for me um, in all the jobs that I've had since then is that um, I am allowed to work remotely. It works out very well for me. I know you have different opinions and it doesn't work for everybody and we can debate that here. But for the types of jobs that I've had over the course of my career, it's worked out really well. Yeah. So so my experience is that I was at IBM in an office environment for uh, about 10 and a half years and we we didn't really have rules around it. We had some people that that worked remotely, but generally people were co-located uh, and we we didn't really allow people to to be at home, but we it wasn't a rule that was said. It was kind of an unspoken thing, right? It was like we are all here because we're getting work done. And so when I came to CompTIA, that was my mentality. It was it was like I'm going to be in the office. That's just what what it's going to be. I'm going to move uh, and I'll be at headquarters. And I can't really say that it was CompTIA necessarily at the time saying we absolutely need you to be here, but that was definitely the mindset that I had. Uh, And I think I've carried a little bit of that through. There are certainly things that I think happen at the office that that can't happen remotely. You know, there's those hallway conversations. There's, you know, oh, I'm going to run around the corner and talk to this person where if I were at home, I don't know if I would exactly pick up the phone and call. 
And, and then if you, if you're emailing or sending instant messages, then that takes away, you know, some of the nuance. And so I, I, there's all this sort of like nuance and marginal efficiency and, and things that I think come from being in the office. But I think that there is some flexibility that's lost then too. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of want to talk with you about, you know, what is gained and what is lost when you're remote versus in the office and where are the situations that it makes sense? Because there have been some relatively famous or infamous pronouncements over the past few years of people saying no more remote work, either for the entire company or for this relatively large department or something like that. <clears throat> and that has caused um, you know, quite a bit of backlash. Uh, but from my perspective, I always look at it and I think, well, well, yeah, I can understand what they're after here. They're after that you know, marginal efficiency, they want it to work as smoothly as possible. And the question, I guess, is, are they going to achieve that, you know, by this edict? Um, and so so that's what we can maybe talk about here, not that we'll solve the world's problems, but um, I, I was just interested to, to dig into that with you. Well, I think forced collaboration is a mistake. And I think part of having some of this, some of this backlash about remote working and having people come back in to the office environment, you know, we've seen obviously the infamous Yahoo example with Marissa Mayer, and that didn't go over very well. But I know IBM is doing that now, not with its entire its entire workforce, but with different teams and, and departments. They're insisting that uh, people work uh, in an office environment, even if that means that they have to move, and and they already work for the company and they've got to relocate. But I think it can backfire if you're simply doing it because you think that collaboration is all that, and you're forcing people to do it. And it may not be the work style that suits every individual. And I think that I think there needs to be a balance between the organization's work style and then how it applies to individuals' work styles and trying to make the that be the best of both worlds um, so that you've got sort of like the uber work style, of like what the culture is within an organization, and then be able to have, you know, be able to be sensitive to how in each individual works. Now, I know I'll speak for myself is that, I get much more done working here and than I ever did in an office environment. And as you know, when I visit headquarters, now that's an artificial situation. You know, I'm not there. You know, in a you know at my desk, you know, doing my daily work. I'm there visiting and I'll talk to people. But for the most part, um, I find that my productivity is much higher when I'm working uh, here in my remote location. The flexibility to you know get some work done in the evening and or earlier in the morning or at different times of the day, that can sometimes be a curse. I can do a little sidebar on that is that you're never not working, I suppose, in a sense because you don't leave the office. Um, but I think it's an individual thing, and I think that, that that I know that makes it tough for organizations. And you know, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. But I think um, having one rigid set of rules for how everybody should operate isn't the best for productivity or for morale, I don't think. And I think the way CompTIA does it, letting you guys, you know, who do work at HQ to have a couple of days a week at home strikes me as almost a perfect solution. You know, you, 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 you deal with that. So you can, you know, you can assess it for me. Well, you brought up a couple things there that I think are really interesting. You started your conversation by saying forced collaboration is maybe a, a sticky area, and and I would probably agree with that. That when it when it when you're trying to force collaboration, you're probably not going to get the results. And I think that that's what these people are trying to do. And I, what what they're really trying to do, I think, is 
build a culture of, of collaboration. Uh, and so as you're talking about you know, individual preference and whatever, there, there's also the, the corporate culture that exists. And I, I think at IBM, that's kind of what was there more than say, uh, you know, having a set of rigid rules. It was this culture of the, the best way that we can get work done is, is by being together based on the nature of our work, based on what we're trying to accomplish, you know, a few of those things, but that culture was there. I know my wife has been looking for a new job and she's been interviewing with some firms in downtown Chicago, and these are software firms. And on paper, you would kind of think that software development is like this ideal role for being at home or being on your own. You're, you're at your computer, you're, you're pounding out code. Uh, but so many of these teams, especially if they're on the smaller side, they want that team environment. They, they want, uh, you know, your piece of code is going to talk to my piece. And so we want to be there collaboratively. And and as as proactive or as progressive as they may be with, with a lot of their benefits and, and with some of the things that they recognize about technology, a lot of these places have a culture of wanting everyone to be there. And if you're coming from far away, there's maybe a little bit of flexibility, but you can, the, the the gist that they give is generally we'd like people to be co-located. And like you said, that's not necessarily for everyone. And I think some places have more of a culture of we're, we're not trying to necessarily gel as a whole team and we're not necessarily trying to get that maximum efficiency from everything talking together. We want to put more focus on the individual and individuals can work kind of from wherever. Uh, and, and so if you're an individual that wants to be working from home or maybe splitting time like I do, then, then that type of culture maybe suits you a little bit better. And if you are an individual that likes being with a team and wants to be in that environment, then I think there are, are cultures for that too. Changing mm-hmm. that culture is probably a difficult thing, right? And I think that's what we see with like Yahoo or IBM or, or any of the high profiles is where they're trying to change a culture and they maybe do it by trying to to put in a, a hard and fast rule, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know is always the best way to change culture, um, but it, it certainly makes a statement. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think there's there there are different opinions out there, and I don't necessarily think that it's well the whole world is be going to be going to this remote work or whatever. Um, I see lots of examples of companies that want to be all together and the employees that work at those companies want to be all together. Uh, and, and I think that if an individual came into that and said, I want to be a work from home person, the answer would really be, well, that's probably not going to fit into our culture. It's not a skill statement. It's a, it's a cultural fit. Mm. Now, the other thing, though, to consider, though, is um, if you want to hire the best people, so if you're an organization, some of the things you want to think about is you may lose out on having the ideal candidate say yes to the job because you're going to require them to relocate. Um, and so you may have to weigh that. All right, we get, we'll go with candidate number two or three on the list because they live here and they're willing to come to the office every single day. But the superstar who lives three states away is insisting that you know that's part of the negotiation and they get to work at home. Um, so as an organization, I guess you got to decide between culture or having the best people. And maybe, you know, maybe that's apples and oranges. I don't know. Um, the other thing is the, the cost of, um, of having offices. 
Um, you know, a lot of companies are looking at to trim costs and having remote workers is definitely, um, definitely a way to cut down on capital expenditures and all the infrastructure that they've got to pay for. I mean, a lot of people now are just using their own, their own devices at work. So not even being issued computers. Um, and if you work from home, people are writing things off on their own taxes. Um, it's a lot cheaper for organizations, I think. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it really is an individual fit. I don't see remote working, uh, remote working uh, going away. And th- in fact, I think it's going to become even more prevalent. Um, but one thing that I will bring up about our research to try to tie that in here is I did um, one of our generational studies a couple of years ago. And we were taking a look at, you know, the, the various generations and how they approach work and technology, et cetera. And, you know, one of the things that we thought going in were that millennials were going to be 100%. I have to have a flexible work environment in which I can work from home or work, you know, from a boat or I can work from the train. I can work wherever I want, et cetera. Uh, and, and yet what we found is millennials do want that hundred percent. They do, but they also want FaceTime and they seem to espouse the kind of model that Comtia has for headquarters employees in that they want to come to the office at least once a week, maybe twice a week and interact the way that you talked about at the top of our uh, our discussion here be able to have those water cooler um, conversations be able to you know talk to their boss one-on-one and in person um, and then be able to spend the rest of their time um, working flexibly from wherever they want and that i think is probably going to be the model for the future um, if the millennials take over the world which we all you know think they are so (laughs) um yeah, one, one way or another, just by sheer force, they might sheer do it. Sheer force but, uh, of number, yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I think those are a lot of good points. Um, I, I do think that the, the the tension between trying to get the best individuals and maintaining a, a company culture is a very difficult one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the cost thing is a huge consideration going forward. Like, I, I think about these, these places downtown that have maybe a small number of people, and obviously there's a high concentration of people downtown. And so they're able to kind of pull from that pool. But I, I just think about they're paying, you know, this huge rent to have this, you know, space in a building. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they could, if, if they pulled that a little bit out of downtown, or if they went to this all remote environment, you know, what could they do? And going to that all remote environment, I think highlights where this this might have to go in order for there to be some kind of equilibrium between what individuals want and what companies are looking for. If companies want to have a certain culture, if they want to have collaboration, if they want to be able to get the best people and then still have that uh, optimum efficiency, I, I think they have to do a little extra work in really leveraging the technology that's available today and doing the extra management that's required to keep remote people in the loop, keep them maybe on task if, if that becomes a problem. Um, I, I think that forcing co-location is kind of a, a brute force way of, of solving the problem. It gets everyone there, it makes the management a little bit easier, it makes the logistics a little bit easier. Um, but I, I, I can see a path pretty easily to doing those types of things with the technology that's available today it just requires a little extra effort on, on management part. And so if you're if you're a company, you almost have to accept that you're going to be spending some overhead on management in order to get this balance between the company culture that you want and the individual preference that you might want to give. Yep. 
No, I agree. I think, you know, with so much technology, just um, based on my experience when I first started working from home, you know, there was no instant messaging and I wasn't, you know, it was email and, you know, the phone. I spent much more time on the telephone back then. You know, that's how you communicated with your boss. That's how you communicated with, um, you know, with people internally. Uh, and today, you know, there's so many tools that, you know, are just the ones we use alone. I mean, we're on instant messaging all the time. We're on Slack. We're on, you know, uh, you can do video chat. You can do, so there's so many ways to communicate that. I think that that does, as long as you exploit those tools, that does um, make the balance of having a bunch of remote workers and some people in the office work a little bit more smoothly. Um, and and I, I think you're right. I think there are the organizations out there that have not fully taken advantage of the type of tools that are available to them and the technology that's available to them. And that would make, that makes everything, I think that makes remote working hum in a much smoother way than just being, you know, a manager who's at HQ who's worried about his team because he can't see them. He can instantly communicate with them. The tools really make this a lot easier. Yeah. Like going back to my time at IBM, um, even in the time that I was there, things changed a little bit, you know, with broadband speeds at home increasing because a lot of the people that I was working with were moving shapes around at the chip level in order to design the way the chip was actually going to be laid out. And to do that work required a lot of data moving back and forth. And so early on, if you were trying to do that at home, it was incredibly painful and it wasn't really uh, feasible to do that. And then over time, speeds increased and people were able to do that more and more. But, you know, again, it, it was this this issue of you know, can the job be done early on? It, it was it was a little difficult to say that it could, and then eventually you could get the job done a little bit better, and and then we still had you know this culture to, to kind of deal with and like, well, what exactly do we want to do? What do we want to allow people to do? Uh, right. And I thought that I thought that they balanced it out pretty well. I mean, we had a lot of flexibility, like we didn't have hard hours. You know, people could kind of come and go. Uh, of course, we were also, uh, especially you know, in the last six months of a of a chip release asking people to work around the clock so um so they could come and go whenever they wanted as long as they were working um almost constantly um <laughs> but yeah it, it'll be interesting to see exactly where it goes because i've used that same data point that you talked about with the, with the millennials and the fact that it's a little surprising that they don't just say i want to be five days a week remote i mean there are, there are people that do that you know there are people that kind of follow this digital nomad lifestyle and they feel like they just want to kind of pack up and then set down wherever they are and connect to work and, and do their thing. And a lot of them are, are successful at it. But in the aggregate, a lot of the people that we surveyed said they wanted some type of balance. And I think that plays um, to, to the favor of the companies that want some kind of culture around collaboration or people working together or whatever. But they, they have to be careful to not force it too much because then all of a sudden there's chaos. Yeah. And the one point I wanted to make is I personally believe it's a bit of a myth that people work harder or more productive when they're sitting in their cube in an office than at home. Um, I, I really do believe that. I, I don't know, you know, somebody out there, some management people think, okay, if the person comes in and they're sitting at their desk in the office for eight hours, they must be just toiling away. And that's not necessarily the case. And I think Understanding that um, is would help organizations be more comfortable with remote working. I mean, I think it's it should be based on results um, and not necessarily where you're sitting for the eight hours a day. 
And I think that that's what we're seeing with the millennials and their preferences is that I think their desire to show up in the office once or twice a week is not to sit in a cube and toil away with their, you know, with their computer, but it is more to interact and collaborate and, and do some FaceTime. And they, they get the, probably get the bulk of their work done uh, when they're working remotely. It's just my guess. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree that I don't think there's a hard and fast rule about like where the best productivity happens. Um, I, I know for me, like you mentioned, I, I'm, I'm back and forth a little bit. Some days I'm at home, some days I'm in the office. And there are actually, for me, different types of work that I'm more productive at at home versus the office. Um, and so if I, if I know I'm going to be meeting with the marketing team or if I've got a discussion that I have to have with them, that's a little bit nicer to, to, to have at the office, uh, if we can, if we can all do it in person, obviously we can't always do that. So sometimes we just, it just turns into a phone call. Um, but if it can happen, then that's nice. And then if there are days that I just need to be heads down, pounding away on my keyboard and writing, then that works out great at home. Uh, and there's maybe less (laughs) distractions, maybe different distractions anyway. Um, but, but yeah, I, I feel that from, for me personally. And the, the other thing that I would say, I don't know if I'd call it a, a, a bit of a myth, but I, I sometimes think that companies don't mean it as much as they think they do when they say we're results based. Um, and they say, you know, well, we're all, we're all about, you know, results here and it gets back to the management. You know, do you have the management that is going to you know, bring in the results and, and make sure that there's some kind of consistency, some kind of consistent bar that everyone understands that, that there's, you know, that they're being measured against. And, and so if you're on location or if you're remote or wherever you are, that, that takes away some of this feeling of, well, you know, that person doesn't seem to be doing as much or that person doesn't seem to be as engaged or whatever. I, I think that, there, there's a lot to be said for, you know, the consistent management of those results instead of just saying, you know, that's what we base it on. And then maybe you get a little loose with the results on the back end. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. That's definitely a lot of this. And I think this whole conversation really, um, my conclusion here is, you know, it really takes, it's really a management thing and, and how an organization decides they want to structure themselves, um, you know, how they're going to measure themselves to talk about results and, um, and, and that all, you know, all wraps up into how they're going to, um, uh, have their employees, uh, work, whether they're going to be working in the office or whether they're going to be working at home or whether they're going to do a little bit of both. And, uh, I think, you know, it really takes, it really is a top down type of decision. Yeah. All right. So, well, what else uh... is going on? Wow. Yeah. We boiled the ocean with that one, didn't we? Yep. Yep. I, I think everyone should listen to this one, and then they can set their remote work policies. We've we've laid it out very clearly. <laughs> so, you know, the other thing that I was maybe going to ask you about just for a couple minutes here, um, this happened last week when I was in Springfield, and and so we didn't get to talk about it very much. And you're you're a little closer to uh, this universe uh, on the channel side, but Autotask and Datto. Uh, had a merger, or they at least announced um, uh, a forthcoming merger last week. Uh, mm-hmm. and I just kind of wanted to get your take on it uh, and any thoughts that you had about, you know, what what that reflects in the general market. Uh, we talk a lot about the channel and the way that it's evolving or changing. Um, and so I just wondered, is this some kind of a signal of that or, or what? Well, I, you know, uh, there's been a lot of consolidation 
um, going on in this particular space. This is the managed services vendor space. Um, so uh, those who do PSA software, RMM software, um, Datto um, does a, much more than that. They do a lot of cloud services and storage and um, backup and disaster recovery services for, uh, for MSPs. Um, and we've seen over the last, oh gosh, over the last three years or so, we've seen a ton of vendor consolidation. Um, you know, SolarWinds and Enable, I'm trying to think of others off the top of my head, but but the market is getting smaller but bigger, so the, the companies are larger because they're consolidating, but the number of them is, is shrinking. And um, we're seeing similar activity among managed services providers themselves. We're seeing um, we're seeing some consolidation of MSPs merging with other MSPs. And I think, like you know, with Datto, Datto is a, a, a kind of a superstar company right now. They're, they've been on the rise for a few years. Autotask, likewise, has really expanded its portfolio, and they're 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 a powerhouse, um, one of the you know number one or two powerhouses in in the PSA space. And so it'll be interesting to see these two companies come together. And I imagine there's definitely going to be overlap um, within their partner community. They share some partners already. Um, and then they'll have uh, partners, MSPs they work with that do not work with one another. Or, you know, they Autotask only or Datto only. And it'll be interesting to see how they decide to integrate those two partner bases if they decide to integrate. And I don't know the details yet of whether they're going to just stay in each, you know, stay in their own lane. So data will just keep doing data stuff and auto task, auto task, or if they're going to be trying to blend products and services and then also their partner base and the partner program um, that they administer to those partners. So that remains to be seen. And that's the tough work that comes post merger, obviously. And I guess we'll see that shake out over, over the, next year or so if the deal, you know, does get finalized. Uh, and from a partner perspective, you know, there's all the usual questions that, you know, how, what does this mean for me? Will the Autotask brand be diminished? Will the data brand be diminished? And a lot of these MSPs work with the other vendors in the space. Um, so they're going to want to know whether or not, uh, you know, there'll be connections that can be made with the products between um, not just Datto and Autotask, but with Datto and Autotask and some of the outside vendors like a ConnectWise, for example. Um, so those are all questions that are going to be swirling around. And I, I think I, it seems like a sound deal and the leadership at both those organizations are, is top notch. Uh, I believe that the uh, Datto executive team is going to run, uh, that would be Austin McCord, who is the CEO there of Datto, is going to take over the unified entity but we'll see how that shakes out too. Like I said, we'll wait to see when the deal is finalized completely. But, um, but I think it speaks generally to um, to consolidation, ongoing consolidation in the MSP space. That's interesting, and and it makes me think a little bit about a conversation that I've been having for most of this year when I've talked about digital organizations or digital transformation, and that's this rebalancing of tactical work versus strategic work for an IT function at a company. Um, and, and I've talked a lot about how that really is shaping a lot of future decisions. It's shaping the way that they approach technology. And so there's a lot of ripples that come from adding or enhancing strategic work on top of the traditional tactical work that's been done. And when, when you first talk about Autotask and Datto and talk about them being in the PSA space, I think that tends to be tactics, um, the, the, the running of, you know, the dashboard that's going to manage the services and just keeping an eye on everything, keeping everything up and running. But then you also mentioned that Datto is exploring 
a lot of other areas as well. And, and it'll be interesting to watch this and to see if this provides us some glimpse from a vendor perspective of what it means to be balancing tactics and strategy between a vendor and a partner base that then works with clients rather than, than focus on what happens you know, internal to a company and inside the IT department. Because I could see these two companies consolidating and getting a little bit more volume and having that kind of help the tactics part of it and giving them a little bit more bandwidth to focus on strategy, which may not have as much pickup first if they're moving into emerging technology or exploring new areas. Um, but it, it gives them a stronger base to work from uh, if they want to play around with that a little bit more and uh, and try to reform what the relationship looks like. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. I think that, that a lot of vendors are, are wrestling with that now. There is the, you know, the tactical day-to-day work, product development, and just, um, you know, working with your partners. But then there is higher level strategy, as in where do we fit into this cloud services world? You know, what's the revenue model? All of those things that they've got to come up with from a high strategic level. Um, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to watch how Datto and Autotask, um, how they come together and, you know, what major changes we may see or what non-major changes we may see from the two of them. Um, from a culture standpoint, I'm not entirely sure um, if they're um, a total match, but I'm assuming they did due diligence a bit there to make sure that the one isn't wildly different than the other. Maybe one is uh, encourages uh, remote working and the other one wants you in the office. That'll be interesting. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where how that shakes out. Well, congratulations to all our friends at Autotask and Datto, and we'll certainly yes. be interested to keep an eye on it and see how things go and, and what new things come out of the, the combined effort. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. And All right. Well, are you going to enjoy a weekend of electricity and running water? Oh, my then? gosh. I've never appreciated uh, electricity so much. It's just it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully we won't have another storm and we'll have a nice uh, warm weekend um, with lights on and the ability to watch television because I'd like to watch some sports. And, yeah, should be pretty mellow. And you have a whole week off, so I'm, uh, I'm excited for you. Get a little time. Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Hoping to recharge the batteries and come back better than ever. So, yeah, you come back. It'll almost be the middle of November, which is mind-boggling. Thanksgiving time. Yep, true. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Actually, one of my favorite holidays. Cool. I am. Yes. Alrighty. All right. Well, you have well, a great you have a good week. Yeah. Thank yep. you. Talk to you later. Bye bye.